You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Arthur Karmazi. He is ranked in the top 10 of the world's top 30 thought leaders in both leadership and organizational culture categories by Global Gurus and has over 25 years experience specializing in psychological approaches to leadership and corporate culture transformation. He is a renowned motivational leadership keynote speaker and trainer in the Asian region and has advanced corporate trainings with innovative techniques and tools that have been acknowledged by some of the world's greatest organizations. And Arthur is also the best-selling co-author of The Six Dimensions of Top Achievers and author of Identity Intelligence, The Psychology of Selecting the Right Employee and Lessons from the Monkey King. Hi, Arthur, and welcome to the show. Hey, Andre. Great to be here. It is a pleasure to have you here, and I like your attitude. Really amazing. Do you want to add anything about yourself? Well, about myself. Wow, there's a lot of things about myself. Uh, what What about me? Do you Do you want to know specifically? What Whatever you think would, would be relevant, and you you can brag a little about yourself in, in this part. <laughs> well, here, let me. I'll give you a little bit of an idea of of how I got to be here. Okay, so first of all, I mean, okay. I was born in a very small town in Carson City, Nevada, in America, and there was uh, ten thousand people and twenty thousand cows. Okay. And, um, so, uh, and on, as I kind of expanded, I, I got this job in Korea and in Korea, I, you know, I was the managing director of this consulting company and we used to, you know, do, um, franchise. We used to create franchises for all these other organizations. And I was really good at that. And, you know, I was so good at it. I thought, man, you know, why am I working for these guys? I am so awesome. I'm just going to go and start my own business. So um, I quit my job and I took all of my money and I started my own business. And a year and a half later, not only was I broke, but I was a half a million dollars in debt. No. Which which really (laughs) sucked. I do not recommend this at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I needed to get a job. So I got this job and I, you know, you know how when you get a job, I mean, you're really excited. So I was like, wow, I was like really excited. I could see, you know, like next year was going to happen and five years into the future. And I could really see the, 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 I was excited and passionate about this job. And then about like three weeks later, you know, I started noticing that all these people that are blaming everybody, you know, you know, they're blaming the finance department and the HR department and everybody's like, yes. oh my gosh, what's wrong with these people? But I thought, no, nah, no worries, man. I can, I can, I can do good things here. And so, so I'd come up with some really good ideas. Have you ever had good ideas, Andre? Yes, I had. Well, yeah. Okay. And, and so I had these good ideas and I, I went and I shared them with the other department heads. And I said, Hey, look, you know, if we work together and you know, these are the things we can do for, you know, the company and the greater vision. And they said, look, we understand you're new here, but don't, you know, look, you do your thing and we'll do our thing. And I'm like, Oh man, like people are not cooperating, but I thought no problem. I'll be able to do great things. You know, four and a half months later, you know what happened? What? I started blaming people as like, oh, the finance guys did that, <laughs> the HR guys. And, and then people would come up to me and ask me for help. I'd say, look, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. <laughs> and and I, I got sucked in to this culture. And, you know, um, it affected my desire. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I literally just felt stuck. Um, I felt stuck, you know, that where, where I'm in a situation where I feel like I know I can do more. I knew I had better ideas. I knew I had more potential, but I felt like I couldn't really do it in, in this environment. And, and so, you know, one day I ended up, um, creating a, um, uh, or looking into the mirror and, and I, I looked at myself and I said, man, you suck. I mean, I, I literally had become an underperformer and oh, yeah. I, I became one of the people that I, you know, that I used to make fun of. <laughs> and 
I thought, wow, okay. So I, I decided I was going to go and talk to those bad people, the other department heads and the people that were making my life difficult. And I found out something very unexpected. I found out that they were actual real human beings. Whoa. And that they actually had real standards, but and that they also got sucked into the culture. So yes. I'm thinking, wow. You know, it's so, so it's not really the people, it's the culture that is affecting the people. And so I thought, okay, so there's something bigger here. So that's when I started, you know, because as an underachiever, I wasn't really doing a hundred percent of my effort into my job, right? So I was, yes. you know, I had all this extra time. I thought, okay, hey, you know, I could justify it because, hey, if I solve this problem, I'll be able to help the company. But in reality, I just wanted to fix myself and my problem, right? <laughs> yes. so, so I started doing research on why this was happening. And so eventually this research, um, I, I started to apply it in the organization. And uh, so, so within like my department and two other departments, uh, we ended up saving the company $17,000 a week in wasting. And so after that, um, I started writing articles and then I got on the radio and then I got on TV and, you know, and then from there I was able to quit my job, you know, but the thing is that it was th that journey was not a pleasant one, but oh, yes. it was one that, you know, really helped me to kind of know more about myself and, and, and identify um, the kind of person that I really wanted to be. And, and for that matter, even found my, my purpose, my direction in life, which, you know, which, which I now travel around the world. And, and uh, you know, we have over 530 licensed directive communication psychology trainers and consultants in 19 different countries. And nice. uh, so all of that, you know, came from that experience, you know, the directive communication psychology framework started there. So basically you took a lump of coal and turned it into a diamond. There you go. Same <laughs> like COVID-19, right? <laughs> exactly. And I think your story, it's a, it's a relatable one because, um, Lots of people have great ideas. They go into organizations with great motivation. They want to do amazing things. They get pitched during the job that we're bringing you in to do amazing work, to change, to ship shape everything, to streamline it. And then you you get sucked into the culture and nothing changes. And it's common. It happened to me. Uh, and it's hard. For, it's like fighting a whole... Uh, a stone wall or something like that it's really it hard to get it moving and, it and, and you know i mean it's you the expectations you have of your ability to achieve are dampened by the politics of everybody else wanting to show that they're better and 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 then you know also the different management and all these different types of things that 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 reduce and, and kill trust in the organization and that matter even you know make you not a not live up to your own potential exactly and it's something that i feel it's also ingrained in in some way and you being having like a psychology background might know more about it is people they say they want change but actually they fight it in sneak attacks to avoid change well you know i i have um i have a theory on that okay See? go okay See, I, I don't believe that people resist change. Okay. I re believe that people resist what they believe to be stupid stuff. Ah. Okay, now think about it. Somebody comes to your door and says, hey, Andre, I have a suitcase with $10 million in it so that you can change your life. You're not going to go, ah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> that's... Uh, don't want I'm not going to take it. Huh? I'm for sure going <laughs> to take it. <laughs> so, so it's not the change that they resist. It is what they feel is too much extra work or something stupid or something silly or, or whatever. It's the same reason why, for example, uh, when you say, hey, darling, to your wife, 
um, let's go out dancing. And she says, oh, you don't know what I'm doing. I've my, you know, whole day has been here. I just want to relax and, you know, so, so, yeah. so stay in the comfort zone, right? But then you force her to go out and she says, oh my gosh, that was such a great time. I'm so glad you took me out. <laughs> right? So once you, once you get past that lazy element, okay, um, or, or, oh, I don't want to hassle or I don't want to, you know, it's too much work or whatever, then great things can happen. For sure. And it's, it's about just talking with you now, I realize it's how can you make your ideas or your improvements be easy and create like a slippery slope for everybody. So once it starts, don't, don't go with a big bang, start with a small bang and build on it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, Arthur, I'm really curious about your stories now. So let's take it from the top. What is the biggest leadership success story you witnessed personally? Wow, biggest leadership success story. I, I, you know, honestly, I, I would have to probably say it's my own personal success story because I used to suck as a leader. I mean, I totally suck. I alienated everybody because I had no idea what I was doing. And, and through that absolute failure meltdown of, a, of leadership ability um, was where I was able to eventually figure out why I was such an asshole and, um, and why people didn't really respond or respect or, or do the things that I wanted to do. And so, so having that element of, of great personal failure as a leader um, was what has helped me to really define and help people not see, see my, my theories on leadership are not like, Oh, if you do this and you do this and you do this, you'll be a great leader because that doesn't work. Everybody's got a different, they're different. Everybody's different. Yes. So there's, so you can't, there's not really a leadership model that everybody can do. Right. Because, you know, you've been to training, right? You go to this training and say, oh, yeah, you do this as a leader. You do this as a leader. You do this as a leader. And then people go and they, first of all, they seem inauthentic. Yes. Okay? And, and, and second of all, uh, it, eventually it doesn't work because they're inauthentic. And it's also difficult to be somebody you're not. Yes. So by understanding who you are, how you get clarity, your primary motivators, and taking all of who you are and then matching it to here's the culture that you're in. Because it, the same thing, okay, let's just say, for example, the, the CEO of Google, if you took him and put him into Citibank as the CEO, he would probably fail. Probably, yes. It's right, and culture. vice versa. <laughs> Okay, why? Because the cultures are totally different. And so, you, you know, you, are, you can be a great leader in one culture, but maybe suck as a leader in another culture. And, and these are where, you know, I, I find that, that people, once they're given an opportunity, can really understand who they are, where they operate, and then build their leadership from there rather than, oh, you know, I try to do this, try to do this. That's what I was trying to do. This is why I failed so miserably at like reading all this stuff. Oh, I should do this. I should do this. <laughs> it's like, and, and then it was all conflicting, right? And, and then I would try something and it didn't work because, oh, it's too soft. So then I try the hard way and that exploded too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I'd have all these like different things and, and totally alienated everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. But having like flexibility, does that help to be oh, able absolutely. to be a absolutely the flexibility is absolutely essential. I mean the, the thing is that I mean, first of all, um I just give you some ideas. We uh we did a culture change program for okay. Emirates Hotels. All right. So we do these culture change programs for all these companies. We even guarantee results, right? I mean, we're the only oh. company that actually says, you know. Uh, if it doesn't work, you don't have to pay. <laughs> so nice. um, the uh, so anyway, we did this uh, this culture change, and one of the uh, one of the things was they they have this rule, right, um, for the housekeeping not to let people into a room uh, because you know it could be somebody saying that it's their room or or whatever, right? Yes. So that's a rule. That is a SOP. Now here is the other element. Of course, you have to be doing outstanding customer service. Now let's say for example, so, so in this particular case, um, the, you know, the housekeeping knew, 
Okay. And this was actually a personal experience. The yes. housekeeping knew the room that I was staying in my room, but she followed the SOP. No, I can't let you in because you know, that's the SOP, but you know, it's my room. I said, and she says, yeah, but that's not the SOP. So, <laughs> so creating that element of flexibility, regardless of the rules based on, you know, situations that are going to help you to be relevant. See, it's not about the rule is not the result. The rules are there to support the results. But what really, what, what ends up happening is that a lot of people end up focusing on the rules um, or the SOPs or the structure or whatever instead of the results. And by having that ability to be flexible, you know, somebody's got a situation, uh, you know, somebody, I, I mean, you know, uh, one of the other things that we do is um, uh, we, we, we build trust in organizations and in, yes. this is the biggest problem that we find. So we have a, there's a tool uh, that we, we use called the ocean tool, organizational culture uh, evolution assessment navigator, right? So um, what it does is basically it benchmarks your organizational culture and that it turns out more than 60% of the organization's who we work with and you know and they go through this yes. uh, assessment more than 60 percent are at the lowest level of organizational culture evolution they're at the blame no. culture basically has lowest trust people don't really trust you know they they have this um you know like they, they basically have to wait for people to tell yes. them what to do um because they don't want to get blamed they don't want to get you know they don't want to create waves there's not really much innovation because you know, if, if, if something goes wrong, well, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they will suffer, <laughs> even if it's exactly. just emotion. And that's just not a good environment and culture to have. And it's, it's not, but yeah. it's more common than expect than, 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 than we thought. Unfortunately, yes. But Arthur, going back to your story, I'm curious, how did you make the, the transition? Like you were, you were struggling as a leader and then you became really good at it. Like what are some, uh, some tips that you would have for, you would like to share about okay. it? Tip number one, don't be an asshole. Um, <laughs> sounds easy, sounds easy. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that was, you know, I, I, I used to think that my, you know, that, that I was just like God's gift to everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a reasonably smart person. And that was one of my biggest downfalls. Oh. Um, because see, the, the thing is that I, I like to study. I like to learn things. I like to know how things work, right? But what, what that meant was that because I, I know a lot of different stuff, I started micromanaging people. Hey, why don't you do it this way or do it this way? Or, you know, why don't you do it that way? Instead of asking questions. So what would be, a, you know, what, you know, so you, this is the way, how would you do it? Oh, okay. So what if you did this or what if you did that? I mean, just even just taking a, you know, the same concept, you know, helping yes. people to be successful, but rather than you imposing on others to, to simply um, ask questions. See, see, there, there was a, a, a story that I heard and I can't remember the story, but, but there was um, the, the question at the end of the story is what I do remember. Okay. okay? And, Here's the, here is the question, okay? Would you rather, okay, be the person who is the smartest person in the room or would you rather be the person who makes everybody in the room feel like they're the smartest people in the room? Oh, I want to be the person that makes everybody feel the smartest in the room. And, and that's the better leader. See, that, that's the thing. See, I, I always, when I was, when I, when I first started my leadership journey, I wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. I have this, this big ego and it's like, look at me, I'm so awesome. And, you know, and, 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 and that just doesn't work because other human beings have egos too. Exactly. And, it gets... and, and they want to succeed and they want to feel valuable. And the more that you impose on them, the less valuable they feel. They feel like, oh my gosh, you can train a monkey to do this. Why do you need me? <laughs> yeah, and I find that if you try to give people the answer directly and say like, this is what you should do, 
they kind of resisted because they didn't get their input. They don't trust it or anything. But if you ask smart questions and you lead them around the way and they get to get the same answer that you knew that that's, that's the answer, it's way better. It's, it's like a revelation for them and it gets them engaged and they actually do it because it's my answer now. <laughs> well, it is, but you know, you know, there's, there's another part of that also. Um, oh yeah. There, there, there is actually, see, see the, um, here's the thing. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the brain's ambiguity relief process? Uh, no, it's new okay, to me. So, so the brain's ambiguity relief process is basically, it's the genetic process that your brain gets clarity. Okay. okay? So How it does it work? It doesn't change. It's a genetic process. Okay. Now, just so that you, you know, for those people that are like science geeks and stuff out there, let me just kind of give you a little bit of an idea. First of all, there's this thing called neuroplasticity. All right. Neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity basically says that if you practice something or if you do something over and over again, you can change your habit, you can change your attitude, uh, you can even change your mood. Yes. Right? Okay. That's true. Now, that changes because of the connections that you are essentially strengthening, right? Now, um, ambiguity relief is technically not in your brain. It's um, the length of the genes that you have that regulate neurotransmitters that make those connections. Okay, so enough for the geeky stuff. Okay, um, okay? But, but here's the thing, okay? Um, because you have this genetic process of getting information. That means that your process of, of, con of connecting it all is different. So for example, if I, my way of doing something, okay, my, my process, okay, this is based on the colored brain model. So if you look at coloredbrain.com, you can get a whole bunch of information and there's a whole bunch of videos there. And um, so colored brain, is basically the, uh, the you know identifies and uh, measures the brain's ambiguity relief process. So in my case, I'm green-brained or what is called chaotic processing. All right. Okay. Now, chaotic processing means that like nothing is connected. So my way of doing things, in order for me to get clarity, I have to take action. Okay. Okay, so as I'm taking action and taking that action can also be in like asking you questions. Hey, Andre, what do you think about this? Or, you know, what do you think about this? And so because of, you know, of that action oriented element, I will kind of shape and reshape things as I move forward. And because of that, sometimes Makes people sense. think I'm always changing my mind and, you know, and, and I don't think I'm changing <laughs> yeah. my mind. You know? Every, You're just so, working so, stuff out. That, right, that's right. That's my process, right? So that's my way of achieving things. Now, somebody else, for example, may have uh, what is called relational processing. So relational okay. processing, everything is connected and it's connected through data, okay? So the oh. more information they have, okay, the more details, they don't analyze the information, okay? Um, they, they just get the information. They see, you know, I need details, details, details. And then it's kind of like this whole wall of TVs is lighting up as they get every little detail and suddenly they can see multiple options. And then they basically look and see which option is better and make a decision in that way. Now, okay. See me, for example, chaotic processing, taking immediate action is essential for me to get clarity. Yes. Somebody that's, uh, what's called purple brain or um, uh, relational processing, they need tons and tons and tons of information. So for them, it takes a really long time to start moving, right? Yes. So then you get like the green guy over here, you know, is like, come on, let's go. And the other guy's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Where's the details? Yeah, I need this, I need this, I need this. And he's like, oh my gosh, why would you waste your time with that? And so you have this conflict, which also affects trust. And, um, and, and so you have all these problems uh, that come about. And so even just you know, your, your way of approaching something is different. And by understanding a different way of approaching things, okay, and, and literally you, you can build more trust. I, I mean, for example, the, the thing is that you, you know, me, for example, as a chaotic yes. processor, and I meet somebody that's a linear process, uh, or not a linear, with the, uh, the relational processor, 
you know, if I am not aware of what's going on, I will judge them. And it's like, oh my gosh, what is, what is wrong with these people? Why are they like this? And then I will treat them accordingly. And then of course they will feel how I treat them and they will treat yes. me because I'm different, which creates trust barriers. Yes, I can see that. It makes sense. And do you recommend like to have, uh, to get some knowledge or, I find it that it, it helps to expect that people have different way of achieving the same goals and being open to all kinds of, uh, of solutions and approaches. As long as, as long as you reach the, the goal, the desired goal, you don't care about how it's get, you get there as long as you get there. Well, again, I mean, but some people do care about it. See, that's the problem. Most people ah. are focusing on the process instead of the objective. And this is where the barriers to good leadership come yes. from, where trust breaks down. And so, you know, it's because somebody that has a lot of experience, okay, oh, well, this is obviously the right way to do it. Well, yeah, it's the right way for you. For you, yes. Right? <laughs> and, and, and there's also the other elements of motivation, right? There's certain things that, you know, when you're more excited about something, you're generally going to be better at it or at least learn how to be better at it. But yes. if something makes you excited and you just kind of impose that on somebody else, well, you know, it's not going to have the same effect, right? Yes. And that's why I feel like as a leader, don't try to impose processes. Uh, just let people give them ideas, help them out if they come and they require that. But let them work out the solution themselves. As long as you, as you get the end result, that's what you're interested in. It's not like you want to clone yourself, like do it my way. No, let people do it their way. As long as they Absolutely. do it and you get the result. <laughs> and, uh, and getting the result on time is, is yes. important. So, so see that, so there's two sides. So for example, there's the colored brain, which we were talking about. But the other side is um, emotional drive. So this is why you do things. See, colored brain is not a personality thing. It's only one thing your ambiguity relief process, how you get clarity, that's it. But that affects the type of action that you take. And of course that affects the relationship and the synergy that you have with other people. But once you understand it, it's like, instead of like, oh my gosh, why is this person like that? You're going, ah, I understand this person's purple brain. Oh, oh, this person's green brain. And so it's like, hey dude, okay, remember I'm green, man. Okay, so let's work, let's, let's work this way. <laughs> You know, and so you have less conflict through the language that you develop through predefined communication. Yeah, and it, it always helps, like, to not look only inside towards yourself, also look outside and see what other people are doing, so you can also have a little Absolutely. flexibility. <laughs> and Arthur, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Well, that, that would be my own, also. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. And I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, I totally alienated everybody. I mean, it's a, you know, and it's painful because you, you want to get things done. You want to try to, you know, in people to, to do things. But at, the, at yes. the end of the day, I mean, you end up creating this, this horrible relationship and tension and everything else between you and everybody else simply because you suck at leadership, which, which was my problem. That was, <laughs> that was where I kind of, you know, ended up thinking, I've got to fix some of this stuff. And, you know, based on all your experience from going from uh, failure as a leader to being, like, successful as a leader, what would be now your leadership philosophy? Ah, well, the leadership philosophy is the leadership anti-model, which, again, anti-model, you know, okay. understand who they are, why they want to do things, how they get clarity, um, and, and basically help them to really find out the person that they want to become, their, essentially their core identity, and then take that and help them to understand how that, who they are at their best. I mean, now you notice that you know, in some environments you are really great and in others you're, you're not so good, right? Yes. So, so, so the idea is like, you know, sometimes you get under pressure and suddenly you're working really well. Well, in other situations, maybe you're, there's, you know, you might not be very excited or, or in some cases you may be angry in some environments. I mean, it's, you know, like when you go out with your friends, 
your behavior is different than when you're with your family and your behavior is different yes. when you work and, and different with a different group of friends. Okay. You're not purposely doing that, but you know, the environment literally brings that out in you. Right. So, yes. so if you understand the better parts of who you are in these environments, you can create your ideal leadership identity. Okay. Okay. So we call this the leadership anti-model leadership intelligence. Okay. And, um, and once you understand that, who you are at your best, your ideal leadership identity, now take the culture that you're in and match it. And of course, identify the culture that you want to develop and then you match it. So you're saying you build like a vision of yourself, how you would want to be as a leader. And no, no, then... you have a vision. There's not, not building no. a vision. You okay. find this is already there. It's, it's already, already there. there. Okay, nice. I like it. You see, you, you just, it's just not always on. <laughs> it's not, how do you turn it on then? Well, yeah, but see, sometimes it, that's, that's the thing. Identifying where you turn it on. And, you know, for example, um, maybe, uh, you know, you maybe at the office, you're always angry. But then suddenly you come home and you're with your kids and you're very patient and you're very flexible. Both oh. are you. Yes. Right. But now you have to find the, um, the correct, you know, so, so what is it that, that is in, that is basically helping you to be patient and flexible. Okay. That is a part of who you are. You don't have to yes. change already that if you have to change something, it's not sustainable. But if you only oh. have to embellish something that you already have, now you can create the ideal model of who you actually are at your best. And it makes it easier to practice a little neuroplasticity Absolutely. to take something from, from one part of your life and you take it to the other side because it's just a little habit to extend it. It's not creating a new habit. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so that's, that's a great idea. Arthur. It is the best part. And since you, you, uh, you mentioned that you work a lot and with cultural change and you also guarantee it, I'm really curious, how do you, what would be some steps that a person could take to improve the culture in a company? Because sometimes it's, it feels like you can take a sledgehammer to it and it will not crumble, not even a little. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me give you a little bit of an idea of um, some of the research that we've done. All right. Okay. So first of all, one there's there's there uh, and there's this infographic. Uh, I'll actually if you uh, if you go to Google and I, I don't remember the page, but if you go to Google and you type in um, uh, leading organizational culture change, okay? okay, and in the somewhere top one, two, or three, there is a, there, there's a there's a link that says directedcommunication.com/slash/something, okay, so. If you go to that, I mean, it's got all of the infographics and everything there, but let me give you a, um, let me give you a, uh, a, a general idea. All right. So okay. first of all, you have the, um, the five, what we call the five pillars of transformation. Pillar number one is you have to have um, a greater purpose. That means everybody more or less has to have a similar vision, purpose, goal, right? Yes. Okay. Now, if you're thinking about that now, you're going, oh my gosh, that seems impossible. But wait. Okay. I'll share okay, with that. Okay. I'm waiting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, the second is uh, that there must be a methodology to help that greater purpose be achieved. Okay. Three is that there must be a language that supports the methodology. So, for example, dude, you're green brained, or, you know, um, you know, I remember I'm purple or whatever, these kinds of things and, and adding all of the other language that we have created yes. um, for all of these different methods that help people to communicate without conflict. Okay. So the language that supports the methodology, number four is the unified identity. Either you're part of the club or you're not part of the club. Okay. Okay. So when we do these culture change programs, um, the, you know, the, the, uh, the company, the people in the company uh, will choose their names, right? So it's like, you know, the, 
um, knights of transformation or the uh, revolutionary patriots or, you know, the rainbow <laughs> nice. pioneers, yes, whatever, you know, they pick up these names, right? Corporate and, um, pirates. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so, so what happens is that uh, that unified identity is very important because the people own the culture, not the company. And this is very important distinction. The people oh. need to own the culture, okay? Because they're the ones that are creating it. So this is a bottom-up initiative, not a top-down. Top-down does not work today in this day and age, okay? And, and the final yes. one is a supportive environment. And what I mean by a supportive environment means like, ah, oh, dude, you know, I, I, I really want to stop smoking. And then everybody in your team and around you basically helps you to stop smoking. They hold you accountable on a personal level for whatever it is, right? So it could be work-related, it could be personal, it could be whatever you want, but it's about you becoming the person you want to become in that environment, okay? Yes. So, so let me go back to the first one, the uh, greater purpose. Greater purpose. Okay? Something that everybody needs to connect to. All right, so. Um, there is a question that we've asked in 58 different countries, okay? And 58. this question okay. is, what is the ideal working environment? What's okay. the ideal working environment? So if you so wanted, what is it? you were working in an ideal working environment, what would it be? So different cultures, different age groups, different positions, uh, you know, I mean, different uh, education, do you think that it's going to be similar or different? The um, ideal uh, After the way you phrase it, I think it's similar. Everybody needs <laughs> the same stuff. It is. It is. I, Which is amazing. Okay. And, and here's basically what people want. Okay. In general, okay. They want teamwork. Okay. That's usually the number one, you know, thing. They want something related to trust, whether they call it, oh, I want to be allowed to be innovative. I want people to, you know, understand, you know, that, uh, that I can do stuff uh, or, you know, I wish people would just give me some autonomy or the other side, which is I wish people could be accountable. Okay. Or, you know, people should be accountable in this ideal working environment, etc. So that's something related to trust. Okay. Yes. And something related to clarity. Oh, you know, there should be some structure. We should have clear goals. We should have, you know, transparency, you know, whatever. Okay. Or something related to clarity where you know where you are and you know where you need to go and what to do to get there. Yes. Okay. All right. Then uh, number three uh, or number four was uh, basically, you know, creating an environment where it doesn't matter. Uh, an environment of cooperation. So you're in a, um, you know, you're in the R&D department, but you need to, you know, things aren't really happening with the finance department and you yes. need to get something quick. So you can just go directly to the CFO and you can have a conversation and the CFO will actually try to help you. Yes. <laughs> That's the okay, idea. So, 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 so this kind of thing where again, that flexibility element is there for the organization, not just for the department or the job description. Okay? Uh, Finally, the last one, people want to have fun. They want to enjoy their yeah. work. They want to enjoy their job. So if you take those five things, that more or less comes up with the ideal working environment that most people come up with. So creating that ideal working environment um, is predictable. Yes. You know what it's going to be and you know what people are going to want. So you, so, so basically you can go to senior management and you can, uh, and, and you can tell them, okay, basically this is what's going to happen in this. Now, the other part, of course, you got to do the discovery because you got to know what the problems that people have in that organization are. And those are always different. Yes. Okay. But what's going to happen is that the, once you have the discovery, you know what all the problems are. Then you can go to senior management. You can say, this is what's going to happen. If you will, you know, um, people want this environment. They're going to want to fix this problem, this problem, this problem. And we recommend that you suggest, you know, that you do it this way, this way with these resources. Do you agree? Okay. Okay. And it should be, here's the guidelines. So we're going to recommend guidelines, yes. not a specific thing, but guidelines. And then senior management agrees. Okay. So I now do, you yes. Now you go back to the people. Now, see, the senior management, all they have to do is agree 
to the predicted outcome. Ah, and right? they always want the benefits, yes. And, and, and after that, they have to shut up and participate as, as, as regular people. Ah, <laughs> Because the rest of this is now taking what we call key influencers, right? So key influencers, they're people that are the informal leaders. I mean, in some yes. cases, they're like a tea lady in this company in Singapore that was 68 years old, and, but she was a really good listener. She was the lowest paid person on the payroll, but you know, she knew what was going on over here, over here, over here, and she kind of you know, would give advice over here. I mean, this woman was like you know, the, the, a super coach because she knew yeah. everything that was going on and she had major influence, but you know, she knew more about what was going on in the company than the CEO did. Exactly. And, and then you got other, other, other people, for example, um, in um, uh, uh, one of the Petronas uh, uh, subsidiaries, there was this uh, young lady, 25 years old, um, absolutely very smart and absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And basically, I mean, she was very classy, uh, and she would just kind of uh, simply and politely request any guy to do anything, and they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, she just had this, this like, wow factor about her, right? So, I mean, you, and, you yes. know, and you've got these people that, that, that don't appear that they have any power and yet they have massive oh, power. Yeah. So these influencers. And um, so then from, from the key influencers, their job is to create cells with everybody in the company. So they would have their own cells of maybe 10 to 20 people. Um, each and then they will basically help these people to attain the ideal working environment through the methodology in our case directed communication psychology using the directed communication psychology language through an identity that they have chosen for themselves and basically literally within one week you start to see visible results in the organization Whoa. in one within, week Within one week, you can already start to see it. Within two weeks, uh, people are like, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and then you have this show where basically they make their presentation. The people want these changes and they make it, to, you know, these presentations in a fun way to senior management with everybody in the room in this auditorium. And senior management simply goes up and says, wow, this work that you've done is amazing. And they sign, yes, we'll do it. And they can do that because they already pre-agreed to the outcome from the very beginning and it was predicted. And how do you ensure you have like follow through from, uh, from management that don't put like sticks in the, <laughs> in well, no, the I mean, wheels? Okay. First of all, I mean, management has usually invested a lot of money. Yes. So pay a lot, make them pay a lot. Right. Okay. So, so first of all, I mean, there's a, there's a specific thing. So they, you know, they, they can't, if they screw up their own culture, they've spent a lot of time and, and they're not going to screw it up. Okay. okay. Because so, so the management doesn't want to screw it up, but remember management has to be a part of this whole thing. Otherwise it doesn't yes. work. And so they're um, also in the groups. They're in the group thing. and they're, and they are trained and facilitated by their subordinates. Oh. Every person, every manager is trained and facilitated by a subordinate. Never. So in never. a way, you shift the pyramid on its head. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and what happens, though, see that uh, the sustainability element comes because um, the people elect what we call commanders and generals. And those people are the ones that basically are the ones that do the follow through and also communicate between senior management for resources, which have been promised and the people who have already awesome. volunteered various elements because they came up with it. That sounds amazing. Whew, my mind is blown, Arthur. It is <laughs> really blown. <laughs> so, anyway, go, go, really go to Google. So, Le and fun. Leading, uh, uh, or leading organizational culture change and then look for the directed communication thing. That'll give you the whole thing and the infographics and everything. So just type I'll try to, I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it more easily. All right. Um, great. Now I'm interested like for aspiring leaders, what are the top leadership tips you would have for them? Wow. Top leadership tips. Okay. First of all, for aspiring don't leaders. To be somebody you're not. 
Yes. Uh, I, you know, and um, number one, before you do anything, build trust. And you build trust by getting to know your people, uh, getting to know who they are, getting to know their colored brain or, you know, how their ambiguity relief process works, um, getting to know what are their primary motivators, okay? Um, here, one, one thing for, if, you're, if you already have a team, okay, this, this is a problem that a lot of leaders have. Okay. okay. Um, let's say, for example, you think that being a good leader, you should be supportive. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it makes total yeah, sense. Right? Okay. But see, sometimes your idea of what supportive is may be misinterpreted by other people. So you think you're being supportive. Oh. Other people may think you're micromanaging, for example. <laughs> Yes, right? I can see that. I can see that problem is communication there. So, 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 so there's a tool called the EEDMA or what we call the management mirror. Okay. And um, you can go to emotionaldrive.net and there's this tool that identifies the perception gaps. It's a 360 tool. So you find out what you think of yourself. Yes, I'm supportive. Yes, I'm uh, flexible. Yes, I'm this, I'm this. And, and then you find out what other people, okay, either superiors, peers, or subordinates think, and then you can see the perception gaps. And, and see, the thing is that when you see something that you're not, again, it's a lot easier to change something that you want to be and you think you are than it is to try to be something that you're not. Yes. So, for so example, true. I think I'm supportive, and I, it turns out that everybody thinks that I'm totally unsupportive and a control freak. There's going to show a gap there. So I'll be able to literally understand, oh, okay, my, my desire is right, but my strategy is obviously wrong. So all I need to do is just change the strategy, keeping the motive, same motivation. Oh my God, Arthur. And it makes it so much easier to achieve. If you have already the desire to achieve that goal, you just need better tools to get there. And Basically. it makes so much sense. Yeah, that is really good. Um, so, uh, and the third tip, what would it be? The third tip, the third tip yes. is going to be, um, well, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the things that, 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 uh, people often forget to do is take care of themselves. I, uh, yes. you know, take care of your family, be, be, don't just think about leader as at work think of leadership in your family and with your friends and you know and remember that fun is a part of life and as long as we keep life fun we maintain uh more potential to be creative and solve problems yes and and also if you as a leader have to be a role model for the people there so they can see that you can have a life, work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, maybe it's just work-life fit, right? I mean, yes. you know, I, involve, I involve my kids in my work, for example. Um, you know, but it, but it's awesome. fun. You know, it's uh, it's uh, you know, we have different kinds of things to to build on. And do your kids get to do trainings also? Yeah, actually, uh, my my oldest son, who is now twelve. Um, when he's, well, uh, he, yeah, he's now 12 and, uh, he is, uh, since he was 10 years old, he's been introducing me at large conferences. So he goes up in front of a thousand people and amazing. introduces me in some cases. So, uh, it's, uh, it's really, you know, he's he, again, building that element of fearlessness when it comes to yes. you know, speaking and, uh, and, and, and he stood in front of audiences as much as, uh, 1,400 people. Wow, that is so amazing. And it's great that you can offer him that opportunity and he's taking it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's hard because I have a daughter, she's six, and she was like fearless when she was uh, younger. And now she's becoming more shy. And yeah, like... it happens. I mean, <laughs> yes. exposure. I, I mean, both my kids have written books also. Um, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wrote books, they published them, uh, you know, they designed them, they, you know, laid them out, they did all the illustrations, uh, you know, they did the covers, everything. They talked to the printer, um, they nah. got sponsored. 
sponsors also. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to take over the world. That's <laughs> what you can see. <laughs> Amazing Arthur. And since we're talking about books, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Wow. You know, I would have to say it would be Ken Blanchard's One Minute Manager. I mean, that's what kind of got me interested in this whole thing in the first place. Okay. And what, what is the major thing that you got from it? Like the light bulb moment, what was it? Simplicity. Ah, simplicity. Simplicity. And, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it, was, it, just, it, it was just easy, simple, and, um, and it, made it, it made it fun. Yeah, fun is really important. Yeah, it, it's a classic book. I mean, it's it's been around for I don't know 20, 30 years. I mean, Ken Blanchard's <laughs> kind of, you know, but but uh, but but that that book was very impactful for me. Amazing, and it's true. Uh, if you can have fun and make it simple, simple your work, you're going to enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah. And Arthur, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, well, probably, wow, there's so many different places to go, but uh, karmazi.net, C-A-R-M-A-Z-Z-I.net is my website, you know, okay. where all sorts of stuff, but uh, I mean, you know, we also develop trainers and consultants around the world, so we have another website called trainthetrainer.asia. And then our, our company where we're working with organizations is directivecommunication.com. And well, you know, there's colored brain and culture evolution.com and, and so many. <laughs> and I'll put links uh, to all these resources because they have awesome tools that people can use, especially I really like the, co the colored brain one. Yeah, it's... colored brain is, we, we, is, is very popular. It's, uh, it's used by... Uh, a lot of multinational organizations and they, they, they have their own internal system that we create for them so that uh, they get a lot of specific and personal data that they can apply to, uh, to improving uh, synergy in their teams. Well, Arthur, my mind is blown. I have so much stuff here and I want to go in depth in more, more pieces of our conversation, but <laughs> due to the time constraint, no I couldn't. <laughs> Uh, so if you're willing, we'll do a, a second show later on. Absolutely. Hey, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, no problem. We're ready to, ready to do whatever you need. This, um, this coming week, uh, we're doing the reboot 2020 conference online. Reboot 2020 conference. All right. Well, it will take a little until the show comes out, but if you put the videos, I'll also link to that one. It's okay. been a pleasure having you on the show, Arthur. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andre. I appreciate that. Uh, okay, bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com including links to the guest book recommendations.